This is an AMI podcast. Are you ready? Let's go. From AMI Central. Now circling in the neutral zone. Here's the pitch on the way. 36 yards for the win. This. Here comes a big chance. The shot is. Is this the tagger? The neutral zone. This is as good as it gets. Now, here's your host, two-time Paralympian, Rock Richardson. What's going on? It's time for another edition of The Neutral Zone. I am indeed Brock Richardson, and I am the host. At least last time I checked, anyways. Um, and you're tuned in for another edition of The Neutral Zone. And I, I want to mention that this group has to be the most enjoyable group that I get to spend time with week in and week out and we always say that we're friends on and off the air and the last couple of weeks we've had uh, guests join us on the program at least from a behind the scenes perspective so last week we had uh, Ryan Delahanty who's the podcast coordinator and this week we have Jordan who is one of Marco Flalo's technical people, video editors, and so we have a lot of people riding along behind us, and we appreciate everybody, but uh, we're the people that get to be front of camera because of all the work that they get to do, so uh, we appreciate them, and we appreciate the fact that you get to listen to our program, and joining me this week is Cam Jenkins. Cameron, how are you? I'm doing good, Brock. Uh, yeah, it's a good shout out to all the people behind the scenes. Uh, very good of you to do that. And I think we're front and center because we're the good looking ones personally. So that's what I personally think. So um, yeah, it's been a good week. Uh, just came back from the London uh, sledge hockey tournament. Uh, and that was always uh, fun to watch. I watch now because I can't uh, play anymore, getting too old. So it's nice to uh, watch and uh, have a few drinks along the way and uh, cheer all the teams on. So yeah, that was my weekend and it was lots of fun. Now, I have to ask you before we bring on Claire Buchanan. Are you, did you say uh, sledge hockey on purpose because it's always been that way and so you're sticking your heels in the sand and calling it sledge hockey or did you just kind of say that just because that's the first thing that came out? Oh, well, I knew at first as sledge hockey, so that's why I still call it sledge hockey. Should I call it a para ice hockey, you fearless leader? No, no, I just, I, I'm always curious when, 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 you know, names change and people, you know, people will say, you know, the, the old way and because that's what they're used to. So I was just yeah. curious. I'm just used the, to it. So that's why I say sledge hockey. In the mind of Cam Jenkins, I was curious what was going on in there. So not many people that. want to know what's going on in my mind. Bro, so. <laughs> Good for you for uh, taking a little look into it, buddy. I'm leaving now before I find something I don't want don't want to find. But I'll excuse myself from your mind, and I'll introduce our other crafty mind of our panel for this week, and that is Claire Buchanan. Claire, how are you? I am doing fantastic. I am wiped from the weekend of uh, sledge hockey that Cameron was talking about. I was lucky enough to be one of the athletes in the tournament, and it was on a two-year hiatus from COVID, so... It was fun to have it back and uh, great to see everybody and great to see uh, also the next generation of para ice hockey players or sledge hockey players, however you may call it. Uh, I guess the new generation will will be calling it para hockey and uh, who knows when the uh, the phrase sledge hockey will fizzle out. But we're, we're trying to keep it around as much as possible. And uh, yeah, uh, congrats to everyone in, in the divisions that uh, walked away with medals and and had a great weekend of hockey. Yes. Uh, a little birdie told me that you were in a gold medal game, but I didn't hear how you did. So how did you do? Yes, we uh, reached another gold medal game in the tournament. And uh, unfortunately, wasn't able to walk away with the win, but uh, it was it was a great game. And I personally was there. Winning is always fun, yes. But as a high-performance athlete um, myself, I... I, I very much focus on uh, how I can develop individually and, and just get better every game and, and walk away with uh, just a, a larger skill set um, at the end of the weekend. Love it. Something we do at this point every week is tell you what's in the headlines. Let's do it. New 
Central Zone Headlines. Headlines. We kick things off today with some good news coming out of the Paranordic Ski World Championships taking place in Sweden. Mark Arens took home silver in the men's standing biathlon. A silver medal was with uh, Brittany Hudak in the women's standing biathlon. And Brittany Hudak also claimed the bronze medal in the distance classic event. The Philadelphia Flyers defenseman Ivan Provorov did not take the pregame skate last Tuesday evening because he refused to wear the team's LGBTQ plus pride jersey during the warm-up, citing his religious beliefs. Provorov is 26, told the reporters after the Flyers game, which they won 5-2 over the Anaheim Ducks, that it is his choice to quote, stay true to myself and my religion, which is identified as Russian Orthodox. He also was quoted saying, I respect everyone. I respect everybody's choices. The Flyers wore pride jerseys and wrapped their sticks in pride tape, both of which are being auctioned off in support of Flyers charities, which proceeds go towards the efforts to grow the game in diverse communities. The Pride Tape company that is in its seventh season uh, made a statement on the situation, and I quote, the mass majority have been incredibly supportive for over seven years. Love over hate. We refuse to let a few people destroy a movement that is stronger and more caring. Tune in next week where we will dive a little bit deeper into this subject. The statistics are in 1.5 billion people took in the World Cup final, which saw Argentina take home the victory in penalty kicks over France. The question now is, does this make soccer the greatest sport in the world? My response to this is quite simple. I don't know if this makes soccer the greatest sport in the world. However, I do think the World Cup is the greatest sports spectacle in the world, and that's where I will land. Yeah, to Brock, I think that it is probably the most popular uh, being soccer because so many can play it. All you need is a ball and a field. So wouldn't surprise me if it is probably the best uh, sport in the world. Now, it has been widely reported that the Phoenix Suns and the Orlando Magic are actively pursuing Toronto Raptors player Fred Van Vliet ahead of the February 9th trade deadline. Van Vliet will be entering free agency at the end of this season. I think it'll be very uh, sad to see Fred go if uh, he is indeed traded. Um, saying that, I think he is getting up in years, and I really think that uh, the Raptors do need to do the dreaded rebuild, and they do need to, um, you know, not just go. The worst place you can be is in the middle of the pack and getting middle of the pack draft picks. So I really think that it is uh, best if the uh, Raptors start to uh, tear it down. And I think Scotty Barnes would be the only untouchable. Very good point. Let's, those are your headlines for this week. Let's check on our Twitter poll questions. Last week's question was, did you watch this year's women's under 18 hockey tournament? It was a 50-50 tie between yes and no. And thank goodness there was no votes for I didn't know it was on. Because if there was a vote, then that was going to lead into the questions of does there need to be more advertising in women's hockey, which I believe there does. But thank goodness nobody said they didn't know it was on. So at least TSN did a decent job in that regard. Uh this week's question looks into the headline Cameron just said, and that is, would you trade Toronto Raptors player Fred Van Vliet at the February 9th trade deadline? Your options are simple, yes or no. You can cast your votes at our Twitter handle, coming at you right now. And welcome back to the Neutral Zone AMI broadcast booth. And we are set to get this ball game underway. The first pitch brought to you by Brock Richardson's Twitter account at NeutralZoneBR. First pitch, strike. And hey, gang, why not strike up a Twitter chat with Claire Buchanan for the Neutral Zone? Find her at Neutral Zone CB. And there's a swing and a chopper out to second base right at Claire. She picks up the ball, throws it over to first base for a routine out. And fans, there is nothing routine about connecting with Cam and Josh from the Neutral Zone. At Neutral Zone, Cam J and at J Watson 200. Now that's a winning combination. 
And this Oregon interlude is brought to you by AMI-audio on Twitter. Get in touch with the Neutral Zone. Type in at AMI-audio. Our guests for today, we have had them on a little while ago about the recent 2022 Judo Pan-American World Championships. During our conversation, we learned that Tony was a part of the Canadian Paralympic Committee's Athletes Council and is the, was the chair of that board. And he's joining us again now to talk more about that. Tony, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm glad to be back. So, Tony, I thought we could maybe uh, start off by finding out how you did at the Judo Championships. Um, I got bronze. Um, I did okay. Um, I decided that uh, I may be a little too old to compete anymore, so um, I'm back into retirement, but I I did get bronze for Canada. And uh, were you satisfied with that result? Yes and no. Um, I was satisfied in in the the fact that I got myself back in shape. I, I was... I was able to go out there and represent Canada uh, with good strength. And then I felt good on the mat and I felt like I, I could have walked away with probably silver. Uh, but uh, I just didn't have the, that, that mental fortitude to, to want to fight out there. I was out there and, and in my mind I was going, why am I here? I have nothing left to prove. And um, the road to Paris just seemed that much longer for me. So... I've decided that it's, I'm, I'm happy with and content with being in retirement. As we mentioned during our last conversation, you were a part of the Canadian Paralympic Committee's Athletes Council, and you were chair of that council. Can you first of all tell us how you became involved with this? Um, so that has to go all the way back to 2012 when I was at the London Games. Um, the athlete uh, services uh, person or our Team Canada cheerleader, you might call her. Um, she was a member of the Athlete Council and she was sort of recruiting uh, people to uh, to run for election. And I became very good friends with her, um, Chelsea Gattel. And she's, uh, she's a current member of the IPC, International Paralympic Committee Governing Board. She was the chair of the IPC Athlete Council for four years. And she was the chair of the Canadian Paralympic Committee Athlete Council for four years. And she was a board member. Uh, sorry, a council member before that. So she sort of recruited me and mentored me onto that. So in 2014, uh, she convinced me to run and I ran in the election for uh, athlete council and I was one of the four representatives elected that year. And then in 2018, I re-ran because my term was up and I was elected and her term as chair ended. So I... Uh, put my name in the hat for chair and the seven member council elected me their chair. Can you expand a little bit on why it is so important to have a committee such as this one? Well, it is the athlete voice. It's, it's athlete representation and it's it's athletes elected by athletes to represent the athletes at the highest level of sport. So within Canadian sport, there is the Olympic Committee, the Paralympic Committee, uh, Sports Canada and a number of other uh, bodies that are, are filled in with other acronyms like OTP on the podium, uh, CCES, Canadian Centre for Ethics and Sports, and, and other ones. And these are all organizations that um, do work on behalf of athletes and, and they run organizations for athletes, but without the athlete's voice there and without the athletes there to give uh, the athlete perspective and to sort of give them the boots on the ground as to what is going on and, and why it is happening and how it is happening. Um, it is just a number of organizations running sports that could be way off base. So it's very, very important to have the athlete voice in, in the, there. And it's very important that it's the athletes themselves who select those voices. Uh, a number of national sport organizations or NSOs have athlete representatives that are selected by the coaches or by the high performance directors. So it's, it's really not selected by the athletes, whereas in the Canadian Paralympic Committee, the Canadian Olympic Committee, um, there our council and the Olympic Committee's commission are elected by the athletes themselves. Now, can you maybe tell us a little bit about the uh, process and how you become uh, chair of the council? And is it something that happens automatically, or do you have to be a member? No. So what happens is you, you get elected. So to be 
first to be elected onto the council itself, you have to be um, a Paralympian. So it's not just para-athletes, it's Paralympians. So you have to be a Paralympian. You have to be a Paralympian within the past two game cycles. So um, within an eight-year span. And then you have to be nominated by your national sports organization to be put on the ballot. Then once you're elected by... So all of the Paralympians that have been Paralympians within the last two cycles get a chance to vote. So once you are elected onto the council, there's seven members of the council. And then those seven members of the council choose their chair between them. So you put your name forward saying, I would like to be chair of this council once you're elected. And then the other six either vote yes or no. Um, so I, I ran and it was actually three of us, three of the seven members at, when I became chair, three of the seven members put their name forward to be chair. And then all seven of us got to vote. And um, I was the majority and elected chair. We're joined by judo athlete and member of the Canadian Paralympic Committee Advisory Committee and also chair of the board, Tony Walby from Ottawa, Ontario. I'm Brock Richardson alongside Claire Buchanan and Cam Jenkins. And of course, you're listening to The Neutral Zone. During your time on the board, what were some of the more exciting projects and topics that you were able to be a part of? So um, we keep calling it board. It's the Athletes' Council. And as chair of that Athletes' Council, I actually get a seat on the Canadian Paralympic Committee's board of directors. So it's just uh, terminology here. But uh, as part of the council, and since I was chair, I sat on the board of directors for Canadian Paralympic Committee. I was not chair of that board. That board has a president, a vice president. I was just the uh, a director there. But uh, there's two really big things that occurred during my time as chair on the council. The, the first was way back in 2019, um, the Canadian Paralympic Committee Athlete Council, the Canadian Olympic Committee Athlete Commission, and Athletes Can got together and brought forward to the uh, sports minister at the time, Minister Duncan, um, our concerns on abuse and maltreatment in sport. And we pushed and pushed and pushed for an independent reporting mechanism for maltreatment in sport. And we pushed and pushed and pushed for a code of conduct. And what came from that is a safe sports summit in 2019, uh, which was hosted by the Canadian government, but was was really centered around these three bodies reporting back to all of these uh, representatives, just what we felt the state of maltreatment in sport in Canada was. Uh, and we were bolstered by uh, a survey given to all high-performance athletes from, uh, from Professor Gretchen Kerr at the University of Toronto. And so from that, we had the Safe Sports Summit in 2019, which pushed for this ind independent mechanism. In 2021, uh, the Sport Distribution Resolution Center of Canada, the SDRCC, was appointed the independent mechanism for safe sport in Canada, and the arbitrators of the UCCMS, Universal Code of Conduct of Maltreatment in Sport, which is Canada's code of conduct now for athletes, coaches, anybody involved in this high-performance sporting system. So they were named that independent body we pushed for. for o it's called OSIC, the Office of the Sports Integrity Commissioner. So that was the very first big thing that uh, the three athlete representation bodies came together and did. And it was it's, it's going to have such a lasting effect. Uh, it's still got a lot of growing to do, a lot of uh, maturity to go on, but it's, it's such a huge step forward in Canadian sport, in Canadian high-performance sport, and I'm so proud that I was part of that. Um, the second big thing that occurred happened in March of 2020 um, when the Canadian Olympic Committee Athlete Commission and the Canadian Paralympic Committee Athlete Council, my council, we got together and had a discussion and said that we would go to our boards and tell our boards that we would not go to Tokyo in the summer of 2020 because of COVID. We said they needed to withdraw Team Canada. So in a joint uh, effort between the two councils, our council and their commission, and between the two boards, uh, a statement was put forward that Team Canada would not go to the 2020 Tokyo Games. And just a few weeks later, the IOC postponed those games. So Canada was the first to say that, and it was not the the boards that did it. It was the athletes that did it that went to the boards and said, please do this on our behalf. So I'm very proud that we took 
athletes first, that we took athlete safety first, and it had such a huge impact uh, globally that uh, it postponed the games for a year and allowed those games then to be run in 2021 in a much safer uh, environment. So those are the two big things that um, I'll look back on my time as chair of the council and go, I'm very proud I was part of those things. So let me ask you another question. Um, do you believe the Canadian Paralympic Committee is in a good place as a whole? And where do you think maybe there's still some work that needs to be done? So I think the Canadian Paralympic Committee is, is really in a good spot. Uh, their CEO, Karen O'Neill, is a very strong voice for uh, high-performance sport in Canada and for fair sport in Canada. Uh, the president of the board, Marc-Andre Fedia, is uh, very athlete-centric. He, he, he says this at uh, pretty much every press conference that he's there for the athletes, and he backs up those words. Uh, so they're in a very good place. I think where they need some improvement, and they are moving more towards this, is having a board of directors that is more um, diversified and more diversified towards people with a disability, since that's the, the, the segment that they're representing. Uh, they do now have a few more people on the board of directors with disabilities. Um, they do now have more athletes on the board than they've ever had before. Uh, and I think their, their, their commitment to having a, a diversified board of directors and having a strategic plan moving forward that uh, has that diversification in that board and has that, uh, that uh, uh, accommodation set in place is, is really good, really strong for them. And the more that they listen to their athletes and move towards um, an athlete partnership role, uh, I think the stronger they will become. Our understanding is that there is a new board or council put in place right now. Can you describe and let us know how the transition period is between uh, those two councils and kind of what the process is? So there's, you're half right. Uh, there's half a new council in place. So there's four-year terms, and those four-year terms are staggered. So every two years, there's turnover. So just more than half the, the council was replaced uh, this past December. Uh, four of the seven seats were up for election, and there's four new people in place. Uh, there's three people on that council that have two years left on their term. And in 2024, after the uh, Paris Games, there will be another election and there will be uh, three spots available at that time. So that's how the, the fact that it's never a brand new 100% seven new members of the council, there's always a staggered so that there's that, uh, that knowledge transfer in case somebody doesn't rerun or uh, there are new people put on that council. So the strategic plan is built in such a way that uh, there's never seven new players in, in play. There's always um, time to learn from the people that were there before. I've been a part of boards, uh, and I've got two questions here. I've been a part of boards uh, in different capacities, uh, both through sport and otherwise. And from time to time when you are a council, you sometimes feel like you are not listened to as well as you should be. Uh, based on what you said, it sounds to me like the Canadian Paralympic Committee listened well to the council. Would you agree on that? And not that I'm centering you and asking you to pick a specific topic, but just generally, would you agree on that? And was there ever a time where you really felt like you and the council had to push for one thing or another that wasn't necessarily heard? Well, those are two separate questions. But to, to your first question, uh, you're right. Uh, historically, athlete councils and athlete commissions, historically they did not work because the boards of directors that were in play at the time uh, really didn't feel that the athlete voice was important. That sort of changed in 2015, 2016, when the uh, Rusada, uh, so the, when the Russian doping scandal took place, uh, and there was athlete whistleblowers, and athletes started to get a little more recognition as to, oh my God, maybe we need to listen to them, and the athlete voice became a bit stronger. Um, my predecessor, Chelsea Gattel, pushed and pushed and pushed for the athlete voice within the Paralympic Committee to be uh, more relevant, and she did that at the IPC, the International Paralympic Committee, level as well, to the point where we've seen in the last couple of years, the athlete voice 
is is the strongest thing in sport right now. Uh, we, we see that at the professional level, but we're now seeing it more and more at the at the high performance amateur level, at the Olympic and Paralympic level. We see athletes speaking out on social justice and getting getting noticed. We see athletes speaking out. Um, we saw this during the, the summer of 2020 and 2021 when the Olympic Committee uh, started to look at Rule 50 and the Paralympic Paralympic Committee started to look at their equivalent to Rule 50 and the athletes' freedom of expression and voice at games time. And the athletes were able to put their opinion forward as to what those rules should look like and how they should change. Uh, more and more uh, high-performance sport at the Olympic and Paralympic level is, is becoming um, a sponsorship and a money base for a lot of, of companies. And these companies want athletes that are well-versed and on the social justice level and they want that voice to be strong and important, and it really is. So there has been a time in the past when uh, athlete councils, athletes commissions were sort of token, and, and now that's not the case. They have full-fledged voting rights on boards of directors. Uh, they're, the, they're, they're looked to, um, it, as I said, in, in 2020, in March of 2020, it was the athletes council and the athletes commission that made, made the, the decision or the recommendation to the boards to say, hey, let's not go to Tokyo. It's not safe for us. And, and they backed us up and they listened to us. So that that's huge. Um, on your second question, um, and I'm, I'm sorry, I've, I've sort of, I've, I've forgotten exactly the, the point. Of the, what was the second question again? That's okay. I threw a lot in there at once. Um, the second part of that was, was there, without putting you on the spot per se, was there ever an issue where you thought, you had to push a little bit harder to be heard on an issue, or would you say more often than not you were heard and everything was was pretty well good? Well, I mean, I, I think we always have to push to be heard because there are still going to be those attitudes that you're just the athlete. But um, I, I guess every time I'm in a boardroom and, and, and I was there as, a board, as the athlete director, every time I, I spoke up and, and was – voted against, I guess I sort of thought, well, they're not listening to me, but that's not, that's not the case. They did listen and just, they just thought there was a different way to go. And I respect that. Uh, but I think there's still a long way to go in, in the athlete voice. And I think athletes are starting to get recognition now, but there's still a lot of national sports organizations, NSOs that do not have athlete representation on their board. They may have athlete reps, but they don't have representation with full director voting rights on their boards and that needs to change. The athlete governance model, where we have athlete representation at all levels, needs to change. It's only been um, a couple of years where now athletes have a position on the CCES board of directors, and that's the Canadian Center for Ethics and Sports. And uh, we pushed and pushed and pushed to get a seat on that board. Uh, I currently sit on that board of directors, not as the athlete rep. Um, I sit there in a different capacity, but the uh, it, it took some pushing to get an athlete representative uh, written into their terms of reference just because that athlete perspective, that athlete voice is new. And it's, it's something that, yes, has been around for a long time, but it hasn't had that respect and that power. Now it has the respect and the power. So you have more and more organizations wanting that voice. So I think we have a long way to go, but I think we've, in the last six to eight years, we've come so far. I couldn't agree with you more. Tony, thank you so much uh, for joining us today and coming back on our program. We really appreciate it. And uh, I knew this would be a great conversation when we had you on the first time. And I'm glad we carved out some time to separate it from uh, your your athletics and uh, then this role. So thank you very much. And we appreciate it. My pleasure. Anytime. That was Tony Walby, who is was the chair of the Athletes Council, and he was talking to us about his role on that council. If you like this interview or any others you hear on the program, here's how you can get a hold of us by voicemail. If you want to leave a message for the Neutral Zone, call now, 1-866-509-4545. And don't forget to give us permission to use your message on the air. Let's get ready to leave a voicemail! One of the uh, great things about, you know, doing programs in general, but I'm going to be a little bit biased and tell you about this program. One of the great things about this program is uh, when you do an interview and you send off the person and they start talking about their passions 
in in different things and that sort of happened with uh, Tony Walby who joined us and he was talking about his uh, involvement on the Athletes Council and then the uh, being on the board of directors as a seat but not necessarily the chair and he then brought up the point of being involved in the Center for Ethics and Sports, which is uh, CES, which is the anti-doping side of things. And he said, you know, I'd love to come back and and be on the program and and talk about that as well. So in two to three weeks' time, as uh, I put on my producer hat of this program, we're going to have Tony on yet again because I think all angles that Tony has been able to deliver us, um, both in his own sport of judo and then with the role he just talked about there now and then ces moving forward he's just been a wealth of knowledge to our program and uh we appreciate tony uh before we talk about the um the the nfl i'm just curious uh any any sort of reaction from either of you to the interview with tony and or just the general conversation we had with him post uh, hitting record about his involvement with CES. Uh, Cameron, start with you. Yeah, I just think he has such a wealth of knowledge uh, with all that he has done, both as an athlete and on the council and boards. And, you know, just by talking to him after we got off, um, you know, he's really um, uh, passionate about the uh, doping as well and, um, you know, being on a board for that. So, I'm really looking forward to having him back on the show in the near future uh, to talk about uh, doping and everything that that encompasses. And yeah, he's just a wealth of knowledge. So it's great to have him on. Yeah, it's always nice to see that athletes are staying in sport in in different ways once they retire from uh, being an athlete themselves. And like he touched on uh, quite a bit, the the voice of the athlete is is very powerful and and that voice in itself should be the driving force of where change comes from and uh the sport doesn't any sport doesn't exist without the athletes and so uh it's very important to uh remind people that uh the center of sport revolves around the athletes and and change comes from having those conversations from athletes voices you know i um i took a really big deep breath and and I, we got into Cameron's mind early on in the program and I left before I got myself in trouble uh but I'll let you I'll let I'll, I'll let you in on my brain a little bit in in the sense of I took I took a big uh sigh of relief when he said that you know when they postponed uh or they said that Canada wasn't going um before it was postponed altogether I, I took a really big sigh of relief in the sense that it was like, oh, good, we, we heard from the athletes. And I think that that really made me sort of step back and realize maybe the athletes are getting more of a voice, Claire. And I think this was sort of maybe another one of those stepping stones where people realize, hey, if we don't have our athletes backing, uh, going to games, we, we're not sending them, Claire. Absolutely. And it's honestly, that's just one of the main reasons why I like being a part of this show specifically is that we are giving athletes and, and staff members and, and everyone involved in sport, uh, a platform to, to have those conversations and, and to, uh, make sure that we're moving in the right direction to have, uh, sport be a safe and fun and entertaining, uh, atmosphere for not only the athletes, but fans and, and family and, and just everyone involved. Cameron, any comment there? Um, no, not really. I think uh, Claire, uh, you know, said it beautifully. And it's just, it's nice, uh, like Claire said, that uh, people um, or boards, uh, Olympic committees are taking the athletes uh, more serious and um, listening to them, which is the most important thing to do, um, but also taking action um, to be able to bring their voices uh, so 
Um, you know, just so everything can be safer, um, everything can be a, a little bit better uh, when competing. So I think it's moving in the right direction. Like a lot of things, it sometimes moves at a snail's pace and you'd wish that it uh, was quicker. Uh, unfortunately, that's not what reality is. And I guess as long as uh, it keeps moving forward, um, you know, that's a positive. Yeah, I agree. And I, and I, again, reiterate the sentiment that if you don't have your athletes um backing you don't have a lot um you can't be forcing people in society or anywhere else to be um doing things and that that's unsafe let me be clear that's unsafe uh to their well-being and i think that the canadian paralympic committee took the right direction alongside uh the athletes council to not go to those games so it was cool to get the inside track on that as well Anyways, this is our uh, mainstream sports part of the show, so let's get into that. Uh, let's talk about the NFL playoffs. Let's go in chronological order of the weekend. Let's go with the Jacksonville Jaguars uh, being defeated by the Kansas City Chiefs 27-20. Thoughts on this, Cameron? That was a tight game. How many people uh, thought that uh, KC was going to blow to the Jaguars? Raise your hand. That yeah. would be me. So. I did not. I did not. Oh, I, think, wow. I guess I had a little more faith in uh, Trevor Lawrence than you guys did. <laughs> I think uh, you and maybe just the fans of the Jaguars were the only ones that had faith in me, quite I, honest I, with you. Yeah, I definitely, like, I saw them still as the underdog, but uh, I, I expected a tight game. See, and that's where I didn't, because with Mahomes and just the offense that uh, they have, I thought it was going to be a blowout, and Mahomes, he was injured, and he got pulled, and, um, you know, he wanted to go back in <laughs> reading the reports. He was like, put me back in, I don't care, and um, I believe they took him to the hospital, got him an x-ray, and found out uh, that nothing was broken, maybe just a high ankle sprain, so uh, he went back in. And he ended up with 195 yards passing and two touchdowns. And the second one capped a 75-yard uh, drive late in the fourth quarter. Uh, and that ended up the winner because it ended up being 27-20. to So by no shape or form was this a blowout. And uh, it took until the last uh, quarter um, for KC to win it. And, uh, you know, it's Mahomes doing Mahomes things. Yeah, I think that uh, the general public still sees Mahomes as a... Uh a bit untouchable. And I think that um, the last couple seasons have proved that uh, he is not undefeatable. So he uh, he's going to go into a hard game with uh, the Cincinnati Bengals and Joe Burrows because uh, Joe Burrows is 3-0 and against uh, Mahomes. So uh, he's uh, hopefully the ankle can uh, still feel good for that game. And uh, we'll we'll see if he can uh, get past Joe Burrows this year. It's it's funny you guys talk about this high ankle sprain and I and I sort of <laughs> get a kick out of the way that the broadcasters sort of talked about it and then Kansas City uh, following uh, Monday as well uh, as it came out and they they said oh yeah he was in better shape than than we anticipated and I I gotta be honest and tell you guys. I am obviously a big baby because I, if I had a if I had a high ankle sprain, I would not be doing football. I would probably still be doing the neutral zone because I'm sitting. But I mean, if I was doing any kind of you know any kind of um, you know activity where you needed the ankle, like wow, good on you, Patrick Mahomes. So uh, good for you for uh, you know wanting to go back and play. I I respect that. We'll see what uh, what what shape you're in uh, next week. Uh, but this isn't the first time you've had an injury going into the championship game in the AFC when you had a concussion a couple of seasons ago against the Bills and everybody thought you shouldn't have played and then you blew out the Bills. So uh, whatever. Uh, then <laughs> we went on to see what was sort of a blowout. I think this one was expected. The New York Giants versus uh, Philadelphia Eagles. Philadelphia was the number one seed in the NFC. Uh, the final score was 38-7. Claire, thoughts? I mean, roll tide for J Jalen Hurts. He is just 
I don't know how he won't get MVP because he just he single-handedly has brought them this far. And uh, he just showed this past uh, weekend just how good he is and how good this team is. And it's going to be an exciting weekend of football to come up. And I, I am rooting for him as an Alabama fan. Yeah, and, uh, you know, with Hertz, um, you want to give him credit, obviously, because he got a couple of touchdowns and he had 154 uh, passing yards. But I really think that it was the rushing that really took over the game. Um, you have Gainwell and you have Sanders um, doing 112 yards and 90 yards each. Um, so in, with Gainwell, that's an average of 9.3 yards. So I think with the uh, um, Eagles, they ended up uh, running the ball quite a bit, and um, it was the running game because if you look at the receiving yards, um, the most a person had was 61 yards, and that was uh, Smith. So I think that at the end of the day, uh, you uh, if you can stop the running game of the Eagles, you may be able to stop them, but they absolutely destroyed the Giants. Agreed. I don't really have much to say other than uh, look out for the Philadelphia Eagles because they are coming in hot and they have just been playing really well all styles of football offense defense running game a little bit of passing game they just they're coming at you in all different angles and uh, look out for the philadelphia eagles um this is one the next one where i'm gonna start things because i am <laughs> why do you get to start bro uh because that's what being a host and producer of this show allows me to do. And I am also a fan of the Buffalo Bills. And the Buffalo Bills lost 27-10 to 10 in what was a snowy blizzard day. Joe Burrow and the Cincinnati Bengals went down the first drive of the game and ran it down for a touchdown. I was on the phone with one Josh Watson during that first drive, and I said... I don't have a good feeling about this. And I didn't have a good feeling about this all game. And to be honest with you, the better team won. Uh, the Cincinnati Bengals were just all in all better than the Buffalo Bills. There's no doubt about that whatsoever. Um, and good on Joe Burrow for, you know, basically just saying we're going to do this and we're going to do this properly. I think shame on Buffalo, in my opinion, for not being prepared to play in the snow. I think that, you know, they had trouble with that all game long for a team that plays in Buffalo. Uh, you should be more prepared for that. And uh, newsflash, there will be snow again next year. And so the Buffalo Bills need to really have a hard look at themselves and realize who they are. Uh, because, yes, Josh Allen is young. Josh Allen is young. That's fine. That's all well and good. But eventually people get older, and I think... The window is slowly, it's not closed yet, but it's slowly closing on the Buffalo Bills. Uh, Claire, uh, help me a little bit because I'm a little bitter. <laughs> you still looking your wounds over there? Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, Buffalo usually feeds off of a good snowy football game day. And uh, yeah, they just uh, weren't able to adapt to uh, the conditions, I guess, and yeah, Joe Burrows were just on it. And uh, it was, like you said, the first drive, you kind of had that feeling of, uh-oh, like that that drive looked a little too easy. And uh, we were hoping that it would turn around, but it uh, didn't. And uh, yeah, Buffalo needs to uh, figure out what they need to either add or take away from this team and and come back stronger because the same result two years in a row for a team that good is just, it's disappointing as probably... As fans and and as obviously in the locker room for the Buffalo Bills. So, yeah, they are. Uh, I hope that they don't uh, repeat the same situation next season, because as a Buffalo Bill, we we definitely wanted to see them go further and they had the potential to do so. And uh, I think they have a good core there that they can uh, build around and, and, and come back and have a more successful season next year. With the Bills, like, you look at Josh Allen, he had uh, 265 passing yards. That's more than the Eagles quarterback had, and he ended up winning. Problem is, he couldn't uh, throw any touchdowns, had one interception. And when you're looking at the Bengals, their offensive line and their defensive line, uh, they just manhandled the Bills. And usually the defense of the Bills is very good. 
and they couldn't handle them. And that's why they were able to get to Josh Allen, you know, quite a bit, um, kind of make him throw maybe before he wanted to. And I don't think the um, snow had anything to do with it because they've been playing in the snow. And what was, uh, was it 17 and three this year? The Buffalo Bills record, I think, are very close to that. So they know how to play in the snow, Brock. So I, I kind of disagree with you there. Um, where I think the worst part of the Buffalo Bills is, is the rushing yards. There is something significantly wrong when your leading rusher had 26 yards and it was your quarterback, Josh Allen. That, 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 that's yeah. where it's wrong. The Buffalo team yeah. isn't very good at rushing yeah. and they need to be able to get some players in there that can rush. And that was the problem against the Bengals. Um, so it wasn't because Josh Allen didn't throw enough. It wasn't uh, because of, uh, you know, the passing, because there were some other guys that had some passing. When your top rusher only does 26 yards in a game, you have problems. Yeah, and again, I want to reiterate your point. When your top rusher is Josh Allen, that's a problem. The other thing that I, I, I want to uh, say here is I've seen on social media at the time of Recording, we're doing this on uh, Monday, and uh, I've seen on social media, oh, Von Miller would have made the difference. Von Miller would have made the difference. Yeah, uh, ifs and nuts were chips and nuts. Ifs and buts were chips and nuts. We'd all be having a party, <laughs> friends. And uh, that's that's just the way I look at it is Von Miller wasn't there, um, and we could all, you know, if that's how you choose to lick your wounds, I, I guess that's fine, but I don't know that. Von Miller would have made the biggest difference here at all in any way, uh, shape, form, but we'll never know. This is a situation where Buffalo just needs to be uh, better moving forward, but I need to move off the Buffalo Bills because I'm just going to get more and more angry as we have this discussion. Uh, (laughs) Dallas Cowboys and San Francisco 49ers. Uh, The 49ers win uh, 19-12 in what was a fairly close game. Uh, some questionable decisions, which I'll get into in a minute. But Cameron, let's start with you. Yeah, I think uh, it was a close game. It was a t- tight game. You made to, uh, you know, question some of the uh, referees or umpires' uh, decisions uh, with, uh, you know, a couple of the plays that they made. Um, but, I, you know, overall, I think that it uh, was a good game. I think for uh, San Francisco, you're looking at uh, Kittle, um, and that had 95 yards uh, receiving, which was awesome. And uh, Purdy, I think Purdy did uh, pretty well, 214 yards passing. Um, unfortunately, no touchdowns or no interceptions. Um, so I think you've got to maybe do a little bit better, uh, you know, when it comes to that. But when you have uh, Prescott, who is uh, a well-known quarterback, um, you know, uh, 300 or sorry that was uh 206 yards uh with one touchdown but there were two interceptions and i think that kind of made the difference there those couple of interceptions uh with prescott so and then once the, again with uh dallas you know you're not going to do it when you have three players uh doing uh between 20 and 26 yards for rushing each that's only a total of like 90 to maybe 100 yards between three uh, players, so you're not going to um, no, you're not going to win too many games if you don't have the to esta- if you don't establish the rushing game, in my opinion. So uh, close game, but uh, I think the uh, right team came out on top of that. Yeah, I agree with you, Cameron. San Francisco has an incredible defense, and so much that they have enough faith in their defense and uh, in their offensive line to put their faith in their third string rookie quarterback, Purdy. He He's only got six games under his belt and he is going into the championship game. So, I mean, what a year for him. And yes, he had a couple questionable uh, decision-making calls that uh, definitely showed his youth in the league and, and also a kind of end of game, uh, just kind of bad decisions of, of not being able to run the clock out and getting out of bounds and stuff. And uh, luckily they were able to pull it through despite that. But um, yeah, San Francisco's defense is what's bringing them through. Yeah, for sure. Uh, The questionable decision that I uh, wrote down here wasn't so much one that was done by a player. It was one that was done by a coaching staff. I 
don't understand why you decided to punt the ball with just over two minutes left. I understood the theory, uh, but you didn't even execute that as well as you could have. What you did was you wasted uh, 15 seconds off the clock just arranging yourselves. I understand it was fourth and a country mile, uh, but you at least had the ball in your hands and you weren't relying on the other team to uh, not do their job and you were putting a lot of pressure on your own defense. Uh, do you guys uh, agree with the decision that was made there? Disagree? What say you, Cameron? Start with you. You know, in that situation, I don't necessarily uh, disagree with the punt, um, you know, with the time that was left because you may be able to get the ball back. Um, but, I, you know, I don't think there's any wrong answer because uh, lots of times I'm thinking, oh, you know, go for it at fourth and two or fourth and three, depending on, you know, when the game is and, um, you know, how late, it, how late it is in the game. So, I don't know. In the, in that particular uh, case, I think uh, they thought they were going to get the ball back and they didn't. Yeah, I think, again, that they were putting uh, their kind of trust in their defense and they uh, definitely came away with the win despite that decision. And like you said, it could have gone either way. Uh, but I, I think with the experience that Prescott has, despite having two interceptions that game, uh, you don't want the ball in his hands uh, with that much time left. He has... 20 comeback touchdown drives in his career, including the playoffs. So uh, it was it was a risky move. And I agree uh, with you, Brock, that in any sport, um, if the ball or puck or whatever you're holding is in your hands as much as possible, uh, that's better than anything. So I, I truly thought that they shouldn't have punted. But again, it, it worked out for them in the end. Yeah. And, and it's. Just things you you learn as you're Dallas and in what to do and what not to do, and I just think I would have left it in in uh, you know Dallas's hands and said, do your best, even if it was fourth and a country mile, as I said earlier. Well, the thing is, is that the uh, AFC uh, championships, AFC and NFC championship games will be very good. You have the Cincinnati Bengals versus the um, Kansas City Chiefs. And then you have the Philadelphia Eagles versus the 49ers, which will get going uh, next Sunday at 3 p.m. for the NFC Eastern Time and then 6.30 Eastern Time for the AFC. So lots of uh, good stuff happening in the world of football. And, of course, we'll talk all about that next week. And as Claire mentioned earlier, we're going to delve deep into a conversation of what is right versus wrong, whether it's your employer or your own beliefs. That will be all next week when the whole panel uh, commences for that conversation. So stay tuned for that conversation next week. That is the end of our show for this week. I would like to thank Claire Buchanan, Cam Jenkins. I'd also like to thank our technical producer, Mark Aflalo. Our, tech, our editor is Jordan. We thank him for riding alongside us today as well. And... Our podcast coordinator is Ryan Delahanty. Tune in next week because you just never know what happens when you enter the neutral zone. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you next week. Be safe. Be well.